welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Today, I am here with Iman Haririkia. She is the sex and relationship editor at Bustle, covering topics related to sex, relationships, identity, adolescence, and so much more. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. We first met at an event, I think it was like a few weeks before COVID happened. I was just thinking that. I'm pretty sure that that was like the last, like, work-related function I did I know. before the world shut down. <laughs> it's so it's so weird to think about. And so I remember you, you were the moderator for the event. And um, after I was like, you need to come on the podcast. And then we tried to schedule something. And then we both left New York. And now here we are like seven months later. I know. We were like, can we check in on Sunday? And then oh my God. I remember emailing and saying, maybe we shouldn't do this because of social distancing and then within a week the entire world was closed oh my god i know it's so wild to think about um okay so tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you first got started in this career sure so i am the sex and relationships editor at special which is an online digital publication uh, primarily for women in their late 20s, early 30s. And um, I, when I say I oversee sex and relationships as a vertical, I don't just mean sex relationships, dating, singledom, friendship. I also mean uh, sexuality, gender identity, sexual health, sexual identity, um, consent education. So what I really love about sex and relationship as you know an area of expertise is that it over encompasses so many different topics and I really feel like everyone can find themselves within the sex and relationships umbrella which is really cool um I didn't necessarily always expect to end up in the sex and relationships space um like if you look <laughs> if you did an analysis mm-hmm. of the last five years of my life you wouldn't be able to like trace point a to point b necessarily but it's funny looking back like i can totally see how this ended up being um you know the passionate that i'm the passionate sorry the subject that i'm most passionate about because um i have been fascinated by bodies and female anatomy for a really long time um you know i grew up in a uh, Iranian American household. Both my parents are immigrants, and um, I really took to reading um, YA lit and uh, teen magazines, like old school advice columns, when trying to figure out like what was happening to my changing body as I went through puberty and started developing all these hormonal urges. And um, 
that really sparked my first, uh, I guess, my first inkling of this is, you know, something that interests me and something that a lot of young women don't have the information readily available. Um, Of course, that changed as the internet evolved, which I guess is something that also led me to where I am now. But uh, that that spark stayed with me um, throughout middle school, high school, and then when I went to college, I'd already been freelancing for a little bit, and I studied creative writing and uh, music composition. Ended up doing my honors thesis on the nine stages of female puberty, in which I spoke to like hundreds of girls about their experiences with puberty, and a lot of that had to do with um, you know things like. Uh, discharge and masturbation and um, I really started thinking about um, you know I guess the experience of women and non-binary people coming to terms with and within their own bodies um, mm-hmm. because it's not something that is necessarily um, taught as like scientific fact in school so every woman comes to you know that exploration on their own it's also not in the pop cultural zeitgeist the same way it is for men who go through puberty mm-hmm. um you know you've everyone's seen those like sort of the trope of the young boy jacking off in the bathroom while their parents knock um that doesn't exist for women right so uh when i graduated school and i started working in uh, the editorial space uh my writing at the beginning had a lot to do with just different areas of identity uh, specifically in how it related to uh, my experience as a Middle Eastern woman. So I wrote a lot about like body hair. I wrote a lot about, um, you know, like my experience with um, you know, street style in Iran and, uh, you know, acne and politics and everything you could imagine. Um, and this was at Teen Vogue. So that, this is when we were really leaning into politicizing beauty and fashion, which I think really uh, impacted me for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. And from there, I went to Bustle, where I worked as a lifestyle writer. And at that point, I was reporting directly to the sex and relationships editor um, and doing a lot of sex and relationships writing and really built up a roster roster of experts and doctors I was speaking to frequently. Um, And that's when I really started writing about sex and sexuality and um you know relationships and dating um in a way that was very candid and vulnerable um and sort of found my niche in that space Mm -hmm. um and when the opportunity came to go to elite daily as a sex and dating editor i took it um i learned so much in that role and now i'm back at bustle overseeing sex and relationships so it feels like it's been um you know, it's it's not necessarily been one, um, you, I guess, not, there hasn't been one clear path for me mm-hmm. to where I am now. But when I do this, like, sort of postmortem of, <laughs> of my life, like, it makes sense because I have never been shy or ashamed about talking about bodies. And I really, really want to get rid of the stigma that women can't explore, own, and question their sexuality. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. So, you no, really, it is. And it's so interesting to have you here. And I have a lot of questions for you. But the first question I want to ask is in regards to the topics that you write about, such as masturbation, STDs, coming out of the closet, consent. So you write about, I mean, 
honestly, like everything that has to do with sexuality. How did you get so comfortable writing about these topics? Because I think that, you know, whether you're writing about it, you're speaking about it, you're talking to friends about it, um, it's really, it's a difficult thing for most people to do. Yeah. Well, I feel like my answer is a little bit of a cheat because I, you know, I say, you know, this, the career path I've taken wasn't necessarily linear. And the reason I say that, and I guess now I'm just saying it out loud, mm-hmm. it was sort of like implicitly happening in my brain, that conversation. But right. I always intended on writing in some capacity, but the way and shape that I thought that would take form would was supposed to be uh, music. I uh, was a lyricist for a long time. I pursued songwriting professionally before I pursued a career in media. And um, I used to, for many years, um, for most of my life, perform lyrics and perform songs that I had written um, in front of an audience, sometimes with you know the people that I'd written the songs about in the audience, other times in front of a room full of strangers. And to me, like, that was, like, the most vulnerable but also the most electrifying act. Mm -hmm. And it really liberated me from a young age because I was able to capture moments in time and moments of of confusion and questioning and heartbreak and love all um, within these lyrics. And I can sort of, like, follow the journey of my life um, like a timeline or a diary by going through my songbooks and seeing, you know, how I was feeling by what I was writing at that time. Um, But what was so incredible about having that experience from a young age is that I uh, learned to get very comfortable being vulnerable about how I feel in front of people. So um, truly, like, once you've sung a song about a guy that you were never really dating but kind of hooked up with a few times but he still broke your heart like in front of a room full of his friends your friends and your parents like your your skin starts to (laughs) get a little bit thicker until it's like rock solid so um I kind of I guess my main takeaway from songwriting um was that the more the more vulnerable you can be in your work, the more people will hear it, read it, resonate with it, and attach themselves to it. Mm-hmm. So um, the best part of, of music for me and of pursuing a career as a songwriter was that um, I was would have real conversations in real time with people who were at gigs about the ways in which they connected to my lyrics, um, the feelings that they received listening to the lyrics, Um, And it was just, really, there's no feeling like it. It's like you're sharing, um, like, one body, one mind, one experience with a complete stranger. And it's so electrifying. And I guess I started craving that experience because it made me feel, like, alive and like I had some sort of purpose to fulfill in the world. Um, So when I started writing, I carried that vulnerability with me and um in some ways really shocked myself at how comfortable i became um writing about my personal life like i always joke like you can literally google me and learn 
anything you want about my personal life because I've written about every corner of it. Um, and I guess the reason that I'm so comfortable doing it is because I know that there are going to be people on the other end who need to receive it and are going to receive it with open arms and who are going to be ready to have an open and honest dialogue about it. Um, so it's really the readers and the listeners who um, make it so fruitful and so easy for me to share so much. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'd say the hardest part for me is um, sometimes people come up in my writing the same way that they, they did in my songwriting and um, navigating you know, their, um, you know, protecting their feelings and making sure that I'm doing a story that is both theirs and mine justice. That's probably been the most um, complicated issue for me when it comes to personal writing, but I've, I've just gotten used to it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, as you know, like singing or even, you know, podcasting, I feel like it's all so similar in the sense that you don't really know who's listening or reading but you kind of do know at the same time and you also run the chance that whoever you might not want to hear it or read it's probably going to so I think that it comes with as you said just growing a thick skin yeah it comes with the territory and then having thick skin so that you can handle it and I think that also the more that you practice it the easier it becomes yeah, absolutely. It's all about normalizing something. And also, like, pe- when people get used to the idea of you being and acting a certain way, you start to shed some of the insecurity about how mm-hmm. it might be perceived, if that makes sense. That's like, so true, yeah. When I, I'm sure, like, it was the same thing when you're like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Some people are like, that's sick. And other people are like, oh, like, another totally. podcast. Yes. And now they're like, it's Hannah the podcaster like right. she talks about sexual wellness like that that's who you are not what you do and mm-hmm. like I think that it was the same way like when I first wrote the piece that really like jump-started my writing about sex journey I feel like because I've been writing about relationships for so long before that and identity for so long about before that but when I wrote that piece about masturbating in college um that was when like I feel like uh, my friends, family, coworkers, all were like, "Whoa, okay, so um, oh <laughs> this God. is something she does now." And you know, that was years ago. And I laughed last weekend because I was with a friend. Um, we had gotten dinner for her birthday, and then uh, we were passing a restaurant and ran into another group of friends who I'd never met before. And she sort of. <laughs> introduced me I think Freudian slip like this is my friend Iman she does sex <laughs> like she is sex <gasps> and it's funny because I think that that's amazing it becomes it's almost like you become you become a like a meme of some sorts like p- people get used to putting you in a box and it can be comforting because it's like okay at least you accept this and then it could also be distressing because it's like Hannah's has a podcast but she also is like you know a daughter friend a partner etc like I'm like yeah I (laughs) I do sex and relationships and yeah I'll talk to you about masturbation until your ears fall off but like I also you know I also waste hours of my time like on Pinterest trying to figure out the interior design of my apartment like (laughs) I have have cramps today you know it's it's like 
you're more than what you do, but yeah, sorry, that was a long rant. No, no, no. It's all so important and interesting to hear. I want to also know what your writing process is like and if you approach it differently when you're writing about more quote unquote taboo topics. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I try to be sensitive in everything I write. Um, mm-hmm. when I, when I do write about taboo topics or, you know, typically taboo topics, I think I just try to a- avoid using any sort of language that, um, promotes stigma. So like using words like normal, typical, terrifying, like words that right. basically people associate with, um, their negatives. So if, if I call something normal, like you might think that what you and you don't subscribe to my ideology or experience, you're going to think that you're abnormal, for example. That's so I just try to I just try to tread carefully when it comes to language, because I think it's so potent. Um, but I also just try to um, treat it as normally and as typically as possible, because I think that, like, as I said, the only way that you can really get used to talking about certain topics that might make you uncomfortable to bring up with friends and family is by like starting to do it and bringing up it up regularly until it's no longer like a buzzword. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just try to treat a piece about HPV the same way I would about, um, you know, celebrating the holidays right. <laughs> and, you know, I think it, I think it resonates with people because people don't want to, people don't want scare tactics. They don't want, they, they want to read work that's both respectful, but also, um, accessible. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone struggling to put their sexual experiences and questions out into the open? Um, I guess I would say, um, before you start talking about it, write it down for yourself. Um, try to articulate your thoughts as well as you can, and then read them back to yourself out loud. I think oftentimes, like I'm surprised by the way that I feel, um, when I first write something, um, like, you know, my, it takes over. And then when I read it back, uh, it, you know, it's, it's like jarring. It's like Mm -hmm. meeting myself for the first time. So taking pen to paper is always my number one, uh, piece of advice. And if, you know, writing isn't your thing, that could be like recording yourself talking, that could be, uh, writing music, that could be painting. Um, it takes many different forms, but you know, express yourself creatively. And once you figure out how you're actually feeling, normalize it through conversation. And that's the only way to do it. Start small, Start small with someone you trust and then little by little, bring it up, ask questions. So, um, it doesn't feel as if like you're imposing the way that you feel on other people, like make it a dialogue. Um, but the more that you, um, start to ask questions, um, in a way that feels approachable and understated, the more it's going to start to feel less taboo and more normalized. Like I, when I started this job, I, you know, there are certain words that I would feel like I couldn't say, you know, like orgasm, like super loudly in my office without, you know, like 
feeling like I needed to like lower my voice and Mm -hmm. keep it to myself a little bit. And I've now said like words like orgasm and masturbation so many times out loud to myself that like they sound the same to me as like a wall or toothbrush. They just, they don't carry stigma for me. And the only way to do that is to start small and to keep at it until it feels like it's a part of your everyday routine. That's such good advice. And I think what's also so interesting is that, I mean, like the more you say the words and have the conversations and do the hard things, I think the more that people, the more people will actually become attracted to you and what you're doing because like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that everyone or not everyone, but the large majority of people want to be having these conversations, but are too afraid to. And so once, you know, you or me or anyone has a conversation, whether it's to your friend or a family member or your boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it is, like once you start the dialogue, it almost becomes contagious. Yeah, 100%. And you realize how many, you know, grown men, women, and people are struggling with these questions alone mm-hmm. and who like are dying yeah. to ask someone about, you know, you know, pain during sex or like their own sexual health or, you know, I I think that we have a column at Bustle called Sex IDK where readers ask um, sexual health health related questions. And um, I'm always like amazed by uh, how basic some of the questions are because you realize how little information is made available and accessible to people all across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the second that I, you know, started making it clear that like, I'm comfortable having conversations about sex. I had so many people from like friends to acquaintances who, you know, would message me or come up to me at events and just be like, Hey, like, can I ask you a question about like, can I, so there's this thing I've been wondering And you engage in a really healthy dialogue. And that's the only way to do it is to like take the chance by starting one of those conversations. Yeah, so true. Um, Okay, so the next topic I want to segue into is I want to get your opinion on how the world of sex and sexual wellness and sexual health, specifically in the press and the media, how has it changed since you first started your career mm-hmm. and where do you see it going in the future? Because I think that so much has happened in the past, I don't, you know, maybe it's 10 yes. years plus. And I think it's hard to almost like put into a few sentences, like what's changed, but just from your lens yeah. working in this space so closely, like what, how has it changed and, and where do you see it going? Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, sexual positivity used to be a movement that um, was, you know, yes, empowering, but really dominated towards white, straight, cis women. Mm-hmm. And one of the coolest parts about being, um, you know, working in this in the sex space and sexual in the space is that I watched. Um, this industry become more and more inclusive of disabled people, 
of Black and um, POC people, um, Indigenous people of, um, you know, not just women, but non-binary people and trans women and trans men. And it just, it feels like a lot more intersectional space. Whereas before, I think it was really engineered to cater specifically to white, um, like middle, upper class, cis, straight women who are able-bodied. And I think that's changing. And I think that that's so cool. Um, I think you can especially see that in sex tech. Like I think sex tech is really starting to create products that are, um, you know, engineered to all sorts of uh, pleasure that not just, um, you know, like insertion tools or vaginal pleasure. Um, it's really starting to feel like um, there is a sex toy for everyone, which makes me feel like I can welcome everyone into the sexual space when I'm, you know, doing a roundup or talking about sex positions. Um, and I also think that another place that you can see that is when it comes to sex education and sex educators and the types of sources that we use. It's not just like white male doctors speaking about a woman's body or a non-binary person's body. Like there are people from those communities who um, are spreading the most awareness and giving the best advice and who are being paid for their time and their resources. Um, and they're the people that are really like leading uh, the charge and change of conversation in the space. So that's also been very cool to see. Um, and then just an overall, uh, I, I guess you'd say, boost in conversation around uh, sexual positivity, exploration, um, sexuality coming out. Um, and I think that's due in large part to uh, the media. Like you can definitely see positive changes in the media when it comes to covering these topics. And I can think of several examples, uh, but something that comes to mind really quickly is Netflix's sexual education. Mm -hmm. I was just watching Hulu's uh, Pen15 uh, shows that like break the mold when it comes to discussing, uh, you know, the sexual pleasure and sexual anatomy and makes it feel like a safe, positive space for all kinds of people. So I'd say that that's, I guess, one of the coolest things about working in the space and watching it evolve. Mm -hmm. If you had to give one piece of advice for everyone listening, what would it be? One piece of advice? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what are you doing to me? You can give two. Uh, you can give three uh, if you want. Like sex-related advice or just any advice? <laughs> any advice. It can be sex-related if you um, want. I guess, okay. Um, <laughs> I guess the one thing that I always come back to in my life, in sex, in relationships is the best thing you can do when you're in doubt is communicate open and honestly. Mm -hmm. Communication is like my bread and butter. I think that like it is the, the quick fix to so many problems. Communicate with a medical health professional if you have access to one. Communicate with a trusted friend or family member or chosen family member. Communicate with your partner if you're unhappy with your sex life or feel like there's something missing in your relationship I have seen so many people bottle up their 
doubts and insecurities because they're scared of how they will be received and then it ends up blowing back in their face yeah communicate early on constantly check in more than you think you need to i swear to god if you get more comfortable communicating your thoughts and i'm looking at you extroverts and introverts like i need you guys to work together here the more comfortable you get communicating your thoughts and listening to other people communicate their thoughts the healthier relationship you'll have with yourself and with others yeah that's such good advice and i think that whether you do communicate like there's always more you can always work on your communication no matter how good you are at it like you can always be better, honestly, at communicating because there there will always be something that's difficult to talk about that you feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- there's always more you can be doing when it comes to communicating. And um, like, I think that you'll see that manifest itself in every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, whether that means at work, like, you're communicating with your manager all day or with the people that you manage all day. Um, but taking that extra space to say like, I have five things on my plate. I need help offloading this last one or what should I prioritize because I'm feeling burnt out can be the difference between you like passing out in your kitchen and you being able to delegate some of that responsibility Yeah. or in your relationship, like, you might be like texting your partner all day, asking if they're like, I'm about to blow up my spot, but asking if they like these pieces of furniture. But you actually <laughs> have asked, like, but you actually haven't asked, like, do they feel at home in the space? Like, right. are they comfortable? Is there something you can be doing to make them more comfortable? Um, same thing with friends and family. Like, like, I, I can't tell you like how much communication can help eradicate like doubt and insecurity in every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. and same goes with you like the next time that you find yourself feeling like a little hollow a little empty feeling like a little bit maybe like your life is lacking uh, direction and I think a lot of people have been struggling with this in quarantine because like we've all felt so stagnant ask yourself like what the root of that feeling is what has made you feel like secure and full of purpose before and how you can work to make yourself feel better because communicating with yourself is as important as communicating with those around you. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's so many times that I've spoken with my therapist and been discussing like a problem or something that's bothering me and she'll be like, have you spoken about it with this person? Have you had a conversation about it? And I'm like, and I think of myself as someone who communicates often and well, but I'll tell yeah. you, when she says that to me, I'm like, no, oh my God, that's a genius idea. But it's almost when you're so in your head about something, you forget exactly. that you can just talk to the person about it and you know, things will be hopefully much easier after that. Yeah, I mean, also like, I, like we also all struggle with so much internal dialogue sometimes just like offloading some of that someone who like loves respects you and like wants to help is like the biggest relief in the entire world because it doesn't have to weigh on you as heavy anymore and I think that like that's why I mean I 
I am so, I recommend therapy to everyone. I think like if you have the funds and means to um, access therapy or professional help, that's like the best step you can take. But like even in your everyday life, being able to like communicate when you're feeling, you know, like spread super thin or feeling like overwhelmed or feeling lost is is so um it's reassuring to know that like there's someone on the other end who's going to help like carry that weight with you and it's not just you you're not all alone Mm -hmm. a million percent um okay last question what (laughs) (laughs) what resources do you have to recommend to everyone listening whether it's a book a podcast a movie a tv show yeah I mean I have so many resources um that I would recommend to everyone but today I'm going to um shout out my favorite um educator and I've been like absolutely loving everything put out um Mm -hmm. by her especially during the pandemic and in light of the George Floyd protests and conversations about anti-racism and performative activism on social media. And that's Erica Hart. She's a sex educator. She is um, a, she speaks to uh, racial and social justice in a way that I think feels like very, very inclusive and accessible. And something that I really love about the way that she approaches sex education is that she makes sure that everything that she preaches is intersectional and inclusive and she speaks to uh, black and brown bodies in a way that I feel like not all sex educators necessarily make it a priority to do and um, I think everyone should go give her a follow because she's the shit Um, she's I heart Erica on Instagram and yeah, that'll be my my main plug of the day. Amazing. I'm excited to check her out. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And where can everyone contact you? Well, um, if you haven't gotten too much of me from hearing me <laughs> just rant, literally rant no. for an hour. No. Um, I, I'm always down to chat. Um, you can find my work. Um, on imanharikia.com but like I'm most active on Instagram you can follow me at imanharikia and you can also follow my team's work on bustle.com slash sex and relationships we have such great stuff going up every single week Um, an amazing mix of content Um, just this week we've already answered why when I get wet during sex, we've had a unreal feature called happily out of order, um, about like five very different types of couples and how they've scrambled their five-year plans because of the pandemic. Um, and I'm working right now on a financial checklist, um, for you to check out before moving in with your partner and a piece on only fans accounts that have nothing to do with nudity. So when I say like, you will find any and everything on my vertical, Come check it out. I promise you will find a home at Bustle Sex and Relationships. You're amazing. Thank you again for sharing all of your knowledge with us. I hope everyone enjoyed listening. I know they will. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, Let's talk again soon, and hopefully we can do it in real life. Oh, my God. We have to. Whenever that is, I I, I have so much faith that it will happen one day, and we'll be able to do another episode in person. Please, let's do a socially distanced drinks next time. Yes. We can podcast that. Yes, a million percent. Thank you again. Bye, guys.
This podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.